So it's Thanksgiving week, right? Anybody excited for Thanksgiving? Yeah, okay, good. Some of you, some of you are like, I don't know how this is going to go. Hopefully it'll go well. If you're like us, Thanksgiving is food, but family is also involved. And so sometimes that goes really, really well. And sometimes it's like awkward and... That's just kind of the way it is. Um, Most of you are probably going to be feasting, right? There's going to be lots of food. That's typical. Thanksgiving, there's lots of food. There's plenty there. And it's hard to be, it's hard to be dissatisfied at the end of the night, you know, when you eat all that food and to, and to feel like, well, I, I'm still hungry. I mean, we just kind of graze and you maybe you, I don't know how, how you do it, but in our family we eat then it, it kind of a lot of stuff just gets left out and we just keep eating and eating and eating it just doesn't end and so uh, especially when we when we when we recognize that God is behind this that God has provided so much right he's provided for us he's he's given us this provision um, hard to be dissatisfied yet we know there are people who are hungry right And in this world, besides hunger, there are people with a lot of problems. We live in a world where where as much as we have so many great resources at our disposal, we've got technology, we've got smartphones, we've got cars and homes, we've got electricity and running water, um, and we have, we actually have thrones to sit on, not squatty potties like in some parts of the world. I mean, we actually, we have so much, and for those of us who are thinking from a Christian perspective, we go, wow, God is so good. He's given us all of this. Why are people sad? Why are people still depressed? Why are people suicidal? Why are people homicidal? What's going on? Why are all these things happening? Why is life so dissatisfying for so many people? And maybe it is at times for you too. Where you're going through life and you're just like, this life really sucks. This is not how I wanted it to be. How easy it is for us to lose sight of God in all of that. What He's done. I mean, we, we know, I, I hope we know that it's God who has created this world. God who has given us life. God who gives us a purpose. Gives our lives meaning. Gives us good things. Even though, yes, we do live in an imperfect, fallen world. What's the real problem here? This passage, and actually, on almost every page of the Bible, the, the problem is unbelief. That, that sounds very simple, and we're going to unpack unbelief a little bit today from this passage. Understanding unbelief. But I really think that the reason we're constantly in the pits, we're constantly, here it is, here's what it is, dissatisfied with things is really rooted in unbelief. Let's look at it. Let's look at Mark chapter 8 together. 
and uh, let's see what we can learn. Mark chapter 8, be, uh, beginning right at, the, at verse 1, I'm going to read verses 1 to 21, kind of take us through three short scenes that are right here in this chapter. Um, if you're able and you'd like to stand with me, um, please do, and I will read it aloud. Um, follow along with me. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. In those days, when again a, crowd, a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this word. Now in the next moments that we have together, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable to you. Our Lord God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Here's a big idea. I want us to just jump right into this. Three words that I think summarize the truth here. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. Now there's a lot going on in this passage, okay? There's, there, there are people who are hungry. There's Jesus having compassion. He's feeding. He's doing a miracle. He's multiplying these seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. We don't know how many there were. 
Mark is not concerned with, with symbolism. He's just saying, this is what happened. There's, don't read too much into seven loaves. That is some kind, it's a perfection or it's the seven nations that Israel drove out of the promised land long, long ago. Um, but he's doing this. It's a practical thing. He's meeting a real need. Their Pharisees are demanding a sign. They're trying to test him, push him, challenge him, trying to have some kind of proof to not prove that he is the Messiah, but to prove their point. And then there's this discussion that they have in the boat about yeast, about leaven. All this stuff is going on, right? But the big idea behind it all, and the thing that Jesus is trying to get us to understand when He says, do you not understand, is that only Jesus satisfies. And we will remain dissatisfied as long as we continue in unbelief about that very thing. Our lives will, we will constantly be dissatisfied. No matter how much you have in this life, no matter how much you achieve, no matter how much you do, no matter how many people like you, there will be this nagging dissatisfaction with life until you find your satisfaction completely in Him. So let's take a look at unbelief. Let's unpack what Jesus is trying to teach us and what Mark in collecting these stories together is trying to teach us about unbelief. Unbelief means, first of all, indifference to the needs of others. Unbelief means indifference to the needs of others. So if you look at those first few verses, the setting again, he's... he's uh, with a great crowd that's gathered together. Look, they have nothing to eat. Um, they are, uh, this is actually in the region of the Decapolis, which there were a lot of Gentile people there. There were some Jewish people there, but it was pretty mixed. This is not like the, the, the miracle of the 5,000 a couple chapters ago. It's a little bit different. The people are a little bit different, but yet they have been with Jesus now for three days. They are, they're devoted to Jesus. They're devoted to His Word and His teaching. They want to hear, but they've run out of provisions. They may have packed a lunch, but a three-day conference, if you don't have a way to get food, you're going to be in trouble. That's why all those conferences happen in Seattle or Portland or Nashville or New York or wherever. Or Orlando, if you get down there and have fun. Um, but that, they, they didn't have any more provisions. They had run out at least. Because Jesus is saying, they have nothing to eat. They are, all in all, desperate people. They had committed to hearing from Jesus. But now they've run out. Now they lack something. And you got to wonder what was going on in the minds of the disciples. Jesus points this out. The disciples start to question, well, how can one feed these people? I think they're probably thinking, Jesus, why didn't you call this off a day ago? They, they could have gone back to their homes by now and they could be eating their own food. What's up with that? Remember the last parable when this happened, Jesus, the disciples cut it off after one day. They said, send the people home. Jesus, we don't want to deal with this. 
It's easy to be indifferent to the needs of others. But look what Jesus does. He's, the first thing He says is, I have compassion on the crowd. The very first thing he, he expresses is a deep emotion. It's from His gut. He's feeling it deep down inside. That word for compassion is that feeling that's in the organs. That's why it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's this gut emotional raw feeling of these people are desperate. I love them. I want something good for them. And he expresses that to his disciples. And he's initiating that with his disciples. Why? Because the opposite of unbelief then is belief. And belief means joining Jesus in showing compassion toward others. It means seeing people through Jesus' eyes, if you will. I don't, I don't think I have to spend too much time on this point. Uh, because I've seen this in this community right here. When a member has a need, you all rally together and meet that need. You respond to it. Some of you are giving your life to meeting the needs of other people. It's, it's like... It's like what John says in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, verses 17. I think it's verse 17 I have for you. John says this, But if anyone has the world's goods, material things, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, does that person really love God? Does that person have God's love in them? And is, that, is God's love really pouring out of them? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I was thinking, um, I was remembering about, I think it was about three summers ago, we had a summer missionary team come up here from Georgia. And... Uh, a good group of them. They came up during Hop Festival. They came up during our summer children's program. They did so much for us. And one of the things they did was they met a need because one of our families needed their home renovated and livable. And they spent an entire week, just like eight, nine, ten hours a day some days. Some days were a little shorter, but they spent that entire week serving, meeting a great need. You know why? Because God's love was flowing through them. They were seen through the eyes of Jesus. Compassion for others who are in need. Well, there's something else about, though, there's something else about the disciples' response. How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Um, I don't know if you've checked this out, Jesus, but we don't have a lot. And then he asked them, well, what do you have? How many loaves do you have? We have seven loaves. That, that, will, that will meet the need of approximately half of this ministry team. It will not meet the need of 4,000 people. And so one of the things that strikes us, another thing we can learn about unbelief, is that unbelief means that inadequacy, inadequacy that leads to immobility. I don't know if I said that right. Unbelief means inadequacy that leads to immobility. 
How can we? We only have seven loaves. We don't have much to offer. In fact, we just don't have enough. And I don't know if you've, uh, you've probably felt that way at the end of the month. There's just not enough money to go with the month, right? You've probably felt that way in a lot of other. you felt, I'm in over my head in this relationship, in parenting, in whatever it might be. I, I felt this way, I'll be really honest with you. I felt this way last Sunday morning. I woke up ready to come to worship with you, and I thought, I, what am I doing? I don't really, I, this message feels like it's half-baked. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I started thinking, maybe I, the last five years, I, man, I've been so inadequate. Until I paused and had a check by the Spirit who said this, who created man? Who gave you a mouth to speak? Who gave you a mind to think? Who gave you a word to preach? My inadequacy cannot lead to immobility where I'm just paralyzed. I don't want to do this thing. I, I can't do it anymore. I'm stuck right here. That's no way to follow Jesus. That's not belief. That's unbelief. Because see, we serve a great God. And as, as little as we are, we are created in God's image. We bear, we bear His marks. If we're saved and we're in Christ, we have all the resources of God because all of God's word to us in Christ, it's, it's all yes. You have everything that you need. And so then I can walk into the pulpit going, this message really sucks. And God will still use me and He will still use the word to speak to people. And He'll do that not just in the pulpit, but in every area of your life. Because, see, here's what it is. Belief. Let's talk about belief now. Belief means confidence in Jesus that leads to uh, mobilization. I, I know that's kind of a maybe a trendy word. I know um, North American Mission Board would love to hear that I'm using this word, mobilization, because they are all about mobilizing people, getting them on mission. But we are too. The reality is, I mean, mobilization just means we are moving with God, with Jesus. So, confidence in Jesus. So, so what happens in the story? It's, look what Jesus is doing. Jesus is directing the crowd in verse 6. He tells them to sit down on the ground. He takes the seven loaves. He gives thanks. He breaks them. He gives them to the disciples. And then he sees they have a few small fish and he blesses them too. He gives thanks for them. And he tells them, distribute those as well. You see what Jesus is doing? I mean, Jesus, he's trying to build the disciples' confidence in him. You would think that after ha having seen him feed 5,000 men plus the women and children not long before this, that they would be all about confidence in Jesus. All about recognizing that our inadequacy doesn't mean anything when Jesus is doing this work. 
We'll get back to that. They have short memories. They have very short memories. It's almost like they're hard-hearted or something. It's almost like they have eyes, but they don't see. That they have ears, but they don't hear. It's almost like they have a perception problem. But look what Jesus does, though. He does all of this, and He gives them to the disciples, and the disciples set them before the people. So what disciples do is they receive from Jesus and then they give it away. That's what it means to be mobilized. Okay? That's what it means to be mobilized. It, mobilization for a, a follower of Jesus is not about, am I finding my perfect niche? Am I called into ministry? Uh, it's about taking or receiving what Jesus has given you and then passing that on to somebody else. And it could be, it could be material things. It could be spiritual things. It could be the innate talents or gifts that God has given you. Maybe the special gifts that God has given you in Christ by the Holy Spirit and that you use those to glorify God and build up other people. And when I was... Um, learning music back in the day, in my formative years, one of the things that I learned both by, by uh, both what was taught to me by my instructors and, and other teachers, and also I learned it experientially, practically, that you haven't really learned a thing until you've taught it to somebody else. You really haven't. And I found this to be true in seminary and any, any other place, not just in music. But I can learn something, but if I'm not passing that on, if I'm not expressing that, that's, that's kind of why seminary students write papers. Because they're taking what they're learning and then they're trying to pass it on. Not very many people get that. The professors get it. But it's, it's that, act of, that act of passing on what you have learned. It's even more powerful when it, it actually gets to people who need it. But I, I learned that. And, and that's, in a way, that's what we want the River Church to be about too. That we believe Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. That He gave some to be apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors and evangelists and I got them all out of order. But to do what? To equip the saints. You! for the work of ministry, for that important service. That every one of us is a disciple who makes disciples. But what we'll easily do is we will think about our inadequacy and we'll go, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I can do that. I don't know how to share the gospel or I don't know how to preach or I don't know how to lead a Bible study. But what you have is valuable because it comes from Jesus and you can pass it on even if there are difficult people even if they're like I don't the, these good Jewish disciples are like I don't really these people in the Decapolis they're not like me Jesus is showing them that it, it doesn't matter I'm on, I'm on mission here come with me take what you have and take it to other people Belief, confidence in Jesus that leads to mobilization. 
Look what they did. They ate, they were satisfied, they had seven baskets full, left over, 4,000 people. He sent them away and they move on. Just like that. The Pharisees tested him. But then, I'm going to jump over the Pharisees. We'll come back to the Pharisees in a second. Because then, in verse 14, the disciples forgot to bring bread on their next little trip. Hmm. Something didn't go right there. When it leads me to my next thing I want us to learn about unbelief, and that is that unbelief means distraction by our failures or our certainties. Uh, by, by that I mean our failures, is, it's pretty obvious. We mess up, we make mistakes, we fail at something, that's pretty obvious. And what I mean by certainties are the things that we really, those, those could be like our personal convictions, those could be our hard and fast uh, beliefs about things, or we know this is the way life is, and we know this is right and that's wrong, and we are certain about that, and we're hold, we hold on to that surely. Well, Look at, look at the passage with me, verses 14 and following, and, and I want to show you where that's at here. Well, first of all, now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. Now, why do you think Mark mentioned that? Well, one, he's setting us up, okay? He's setting up the story. But here's what, here's what happened. The disciples got in the boat with Jesus. They go off. They had just been tested by the Pharisees, and, and Jesus is like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deal with these characters. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fall into that trap. I'm not gonna be baited into some fruitless discussion with these knuckleheads. Let's go. They get into the boat. They're out. Uh, they're out on the on the lake on the sea. And then suddenly they look around. They go. Uh, Peter goes. Hey John. John goes. Hey Andrew. Andrew goes. Hey Bartholomew. Bartholomew goes. Hey Thomas. And they kind of look at each other and they're like, Where are those seven baskets? And, and the one's like, oh, well, I just have this loaf, in, you know, in my, in my pocket. They forgot the bread. And Jesus got, had all these leftovers for them for the next few weeks after this Thanksgiving meal, and they forgot it. They forgot to take it with them. And so what are they doing? They're starting to point fingers. They're starting to dis, they're, they're starting to blame, play the blame game. Somebody messed up. Who's to blame for this? I mean, mess-ups happen all the time. And they're a huge distraction. Like, we have mess-ups every Sunday morning. Mess-ups slash mishaps slash oops, or whatever. It happens every Sunday morning, and it throws us off. And you know what? We spend the next hour and a half thinking about those things, rather than listening to Jesus. That's what happens in my heart way too often. Because even, even while I preach, I can play things in my head and just go, oh, that's driving me crazy. And not listen to Jesus. Mishaps, failures, uh, setbacks, they are a massive distraction to hearing Jesus. Because then Jesus speaks to them. And he says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And, and what do they begin doing? And they began discussing with them, one another the fact that they had no bread. This word discussing means they were arguing and debating about it. And so, so here's what happened. Peter said, 
John, I told you to do this. I'm right. I had this all figured out. All you had to do is do what I told you to do. And John's like, dude, I'm the beloved disciple. And I delegated that to my, my brother, uh, James. And he was taking care of that because, you know, I'm trying to boost him. And then they just, it all shifted around. And they're all trying to debate and discuss and argue about who's right about this matter. And that's what we do as Christians too often. I'm on this Facebook group. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because I don't want you to search for it and I don't want you to get wrapped into that. Somebody I know pulled me into that thing. And, um, and unfortunately, almost everything that I see posted on that Facebook group is like, you're wasting time with this? Like, what? Why don't you go share the gospel with somebody? Or, why don't you go read your Bible? Or do something? These are pointless arguments. Pointless discussions. Like arguing about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. And being right about it. That's what's worse. And, say, and knowing that you're right and the other person is wrong. That's what I mean by certainties. We can so easily get caught up in that. It's like, it's like when I come home... This happens every couple of years. I'll come home and something is undone in the house. It doesn't have... I mean, it's so infrequent. Like, rarely laundry needs to be folded. Rarely does the kitchen need to be cleaned. Rarely are there dishes lying about in our living room. Rarely does that happen. But on the rare occasions when it does, I go, Hey, What's going on here? We need to get this stuff cleaned up. And you know what I hear most of the time? Well, so-and-so did it. It wasn't me. I was right. They were wrong. And all I want them to do is listen to me. Just hear me so we can get about fixing it and moving on with our life. But they want to make it a debate. I won't even tell you who. There are people that live in my home. That's all I'm going to say. People who live in my home. But listen... My children will not listen to my voice because they're too worried about being right. They're too worried about playing the blame game, about why this happened. And I'm just like, I don't care why it happened. Let's just move forward. Let's go in the right direction. We can fix this. And they don't listen to me and we do the same thing with Jesus every time we get caught up in those distractions. Belief means, listen, belief means devotion to Jesus and His Word. He's calling out to us, watch out, beware. I could argue, I, I could tell you what He's bewaring them about. The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod, it, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. At its, at its core. Now they were doing a lot of crazy things. There's a lot of things that Jesus wouldn't have been happy with and he would want to warn them about. But this, this leaven, this, this kind of insidious little uh, unseen uh, permeating thing was infecting the disciples too. And he's like, listen to me. Listen to what I have to tell you. I want you, you to learn something here. Are we being devoted to Jesus and His Word? Some of us are stuck in our spiritual lives. Some of us are just sitting there 
maybe spinning our wheels, or maybe the wheels aren't even spinning because the battery's dead. You know what I'm saying? We're just not going anywhere. We're in Christ, but that's as far as we've gotten. Some of us are maybe in some other category. I don't know. But we, whether, whether it's this, this chronic unbelief that we can easily get into where like the car's just not going and it won't, or whether it's an acute thing. It, we, we battle unbelief at, times, at different times. The distractions come and we fall prey to them and for a while we, we, we're not listening to Jesus. I'll tell you one of the most helpful things in my life, and I'm good, this is going to sound like an advertisement, and I don't care, but one of the most helpful things in my life has been the people that I meet with every week, the men that I meet with in what we call a quote-unquote discipleship group, where we're meeting together week after week, we're reading the Bible together, we're sharing our lives together in that intimate place, and going, this is what I'm struggling with, this is what's going on in my family, we're praying and we're encouraging each other, and let me tell you what, most of the people that make a regular habit of being in discipleship group don't fall into chronic unbelief. They just don't. Because they're hearing Jesus speaking to them regularly. That's not perfection. The, the acute bouts of unbelief hit us at times. And then we work through those things together. But let me tell you, if that's not in your life, make it a part of your life. Do it. Commit to that. Find somebody in this room before you leave today. Make it a part of your life. All right, let's go on. The the last bit of unbelief I want to talk about today is that unbelief means, this is the big one, dissatisfaction with who Jesus is and what He is doing. And that... I put it that way for a reason. Not, not just what he has done, but what he is doing. Dissatisfaction with what he's doing in your life now. Well, here's the thing. Jesus confronts them. He throws all these questions at them, perceiving, understanding, hearts hardened, eyes, blindness, uh, ears, deafness. And then he goes, when I broke... Uh, he, before that he said at the end of 18, do you not remember? Do you not remember? You have a short memory, disciples. When I broke the five loaves, how many baskets were left over? Twelve. When I, when I fed the seven, how many baskets were left over? Seven. Do you not yet understand? Or we could translate that, do you still not get it? Why are you so dissatisfied with things? Why are you running around? He's trying to point to himself as the sole source of satisfaction for them. And the answer to the distraction problems is devotion to Jesus. The, the answer to feelings of inadequacy is getting on board with Jesus and getting mobilized by Him and confidence in Him. The, the answer to the problems of, of seeing people or being, uh, being blind to their needs and the answer to that is compassion. Joining Jesus on that compassionate journey. So he says, look, there are 5,000 people plus got, got fed. 4,000 people got fed. And then look at how you, got, you, you picked up. He 
he goes back and he goes, well, if we go back to verse 4 and we see what the disciples said and his disciples answered him, how can one, and the word there literally is, how can one satisfy these people? ESVU drives me crazy because it's the same word as in verse 8. They ate and were satisfied. Not just and they ate and were fed. There are other words for just eating, being fed. This is satisfaction. This was a meal. They were going to remember this meal. They were satisfied. And the disciples are so concerned. They they just don't understand how people could be satisfied in those circumstances. And Jesus is saying, don't you understand? I've been satisfying you this whole time. Your problem is unbelief. Do you not perceive? Are your hearts hard? Don't you see? Uh, Don't you hear? In other words, are you blind? Are you deaf? Are you like this deaf man? This mute man that I healed just before this? Are you like that guy? Are you like the Pharisees? The Pharisees are coming to me asking for a sign. They want to test me. They want to prove me wrong. They're they're totally, totally motivated by their unbelief. They've already made up their mind that they don't believe Jesus, that He's not trustworthy. It's like, I hope you've never done this, but I've heard it happens where a husband or a wife is untrusting and hires a private investigator to investigate his or her spouse. That stuff happens, right? Why are they doing that? It's because they don't trust. And they're looking for evidence against them and that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They're trying to test Jesus. It's like they've, they've hired, maybe they are the private investigators because the Pharisees are going back to Jerusalem and reporting to the Jewish council there. But they're looking for evidence against Him. They're testing Him just like Satan tested Jesus in chapter 1, verse 13. Making accusations, saying it's like this, it's like that. In fact... Let's go further. They're not just, the disciples are not just like the deaf man, and they're not just like the Pharisees, but they're like Israel back in Exodus. Psalm 95, verse 10, says, For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Forty years. That that first generation came out of Egypt. They saw the miracles. They saw the Red Sea parted. They came through. They saw water come from the rock. They saw manna coming down from heaven. And then you know what they did? They worshipped idols. They turned their gold into a calf. And they worshipped that instead of Jesus. They could not wait for Him. They could not be patient with Him. They didn't see. They didn't remember. They, They couldn't look back and go, wait a minute. God's been faithful. He's done all this stuff for us already. We can trust Him with this. Be patient. No. They turned away from Him. And for 40 years, they wandered in that desert until that entire generation died. But, guess what? That's not the end of the story. Because Israel kept being unfaithful to God. They kept in unbelief until hundreds of years later, the, 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 the nation had shrunk down to nothing and they were going into exile. And then God spoke through Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 12, 
Verse 2, Son of man, that's Ezekiel, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. And that's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. That's who you are. You're those people that deserve to be punished. You're those people who deserve to be cast out. Friends, that's us. That's us. That's who we are. This, this leaven is the leaven of unbelief that just like the Jews do and they still do today when they prepare for Passover, they remove all of the leaven from their homes. Get it out. They cast it out. They, they remove it so that their homes can be ready, can be pure, can be holy for God. And that's exactly what we need. We need to be purged like the leaven. Belief means being fully satisfied in Jesus. Psalm 1611 says, You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore pleasures fullness of joy do you see that fullness of joy completeness fully satisfied happy emotionally as well as in every other way at your right hand are pleasures forevermore see here's here's what Jesus is trying to say and when, 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 we, when we say that only Jesus satisfies, we mean that He is Himself the sign. He's not going to do something for the Pharisees, do a little miracle, do a little trick, make a little prophecy. This time tomorrow somebody will come walking through town wearing a red coat, da-da-da-da-da, whatever. Now, now He's proven Himself to be a true prophet. He's not going to play those games. Because He Himself is the sign. We don't get this in this passage, but in the other Gospels, in Matthew, Jesus says, the only sign that you'll get is the sign of Jonah. Just as He was in the belly of the great fish for three days, so will the Son of Man Himself be in the earth for three days, and after that, rise. Jesus is Himself the sign. Yes, oh, He had compassion on us. See, He's the, he's the one who, who took our sins on Himself. And He's the one who buried them in the tomb. He's the one who raised to life powerfully to, to conquer death and conquer sin for us so that it wouldn't be our guilt any longer. He had great compassion on us. He even, he made himself available to, to God. He said, yes, Father, first of the Trinity, I will follow you. I will be mobilized for you. I will go down to those people. I will go to where they are. And I will do this for them. He was absolutely devoted to God. There were no distractions for him. He wouldn't allow those distractions to take place. He was focused on, God has something for me and I'm going to do it. 
He was himself the sign. He was the bread of life. Only Jesus satisfies. C.S. Lewis, uh, a British author of the last century, died in 63. But before that, even back down, back back to the the time of the of World War II, even where he began to write and speak, wrote an essay called "The Weight of Glory," and in that was just just short little, just part of a paragraph, where he said this because, see. Jesus doesn't want us to go through life dissatisfied with this world and melancholy and morose. He wants us to go through life satisfied with Him and then all of the good that is honoring to Him we enjoy. But our problem, as C.S. Lewis said, is that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So our challenge, the, the challenge of unbelief, understanding unbelief really means that we understand these things that we are putting our faith in. They're just mud pies in a slum. They will not satisfy us. They never will satisfy us. Only Jesus satisfies. And so that offer is to us of infinite joy, of knowing Him. The the offer is of Jesus Himself. So what we have is to, to, the offer to cast out the unbelief is, is the offer to make us new in Him. Where He cast that out like so much leaven and gives us a new heart, a new spirit to love Him, to follow Him, to desire Him. Will you be satisfied in Him? That's the challenge to the disciples. It's the challenge to us. So let me just ask you this. If you don't know Him, if you've never put your faith in Him, you will never be satisfied. Ever. So I'm just pronounce that curse on you right now. In the name of Jesus, you will never be satisfied. If you have put your faith in Him, but you're not walking with Him, guess what? Dissatisfaction will be your lot in life. I proclaim that curse on you in the name of Jesus. But if you come to Him, you cast that on Him. Oh, the joy that will fill your heart. Oh, the endless pleasures of knowing God, our Creator. There's nothing like it. That's the offer today. Will you be satisfied in Him? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, You are a great God, glorious and holy and awesome. And God, You have given us Your Word. You have given us Christ, the Word made flesh. We can never pray enough. We can never give enough. We can never do enough to earn that gift that is given freely by your grace in Christ. O 
Oh, Jesus has paid it all. Jesus has paid every debt already. And His righteousness and His perfection now is what He offers to us, to be clothed in Him, to be satisfied in Him. No, long, no more guilt, no more shame. You, God, gave us Jesus to be the rock for us to build our lives on the cornerstone that cannot be moved. Lord, let it not crush us today. Let it not crush those in rebellion and unbelief, God. But may it be a comfort to us to stand on in our times of desperation, knowing that only Jesus satisfies. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.